Hello and welcome to the Hollywood Scandals of Yesteryear podcast. I am your host, Gene Hollywood. And in this podcast, we will be chronologically examining Hollywood scandals of yesteryear. Going from the 1920s up through maybe the 1960s. We'll see how the podcast goes and how scandalous we decide to get. In this episode, we will have a little bit of backstory and a little bit of coming attractions as far as what you can expect in this podcast. And then we'll have the tale of this week's Hollywood scandal of yesteryear. Uh, Like I said, my name is Gene Hollywood. We will, like I said, I'm going to try and go chronologically, but if I skip around occasionally or if I miss one or skip one, then, you know, that is my, that is Gene Hollywood's want, and this is Gene Hollywood's podcast, and Gene Hollywood can do whatever he damn well pleases. Uh, but I've got some, we're going to touch, I've got some shows planned out, uh, the, like I said, this first week, we're going to look into the story of Olive Thomas, who is a silent film star, I think next week we will do uh, Fatty Arbuckle. We're going to do William Desmond Taylor, um, who was murdered in 1922 in the same house as uh, Sharon Tate was murdered 47 years later in 1969 um, by the uh, family of Charles Manson, which is an odd coincidence. Uh, 1922 also saw the uh, death of Wallace Reed. Uh, 1924, we're going to cover the death of Thomas Ince, um, which there was a movie made about uh, called The Cat's Meow, which is an excellent movie. Uh, 1926, uh, the death of Rudolph Valentino. There's a story of Barbara Lamar. Uh, 1930, Mabel Normand. We are going to hit all of those topics and more if uh, people enjoy the podcast you can check us out on facebook at the hollywood scandals of yesteryear page Uh, please like it on facebook and send me a message Um, and so without further ado we will get into the sad tale of olive thomas olive thomas was born olivia duffy Uh, She was, although sometimes claimed that her name was Olivaretta, Elaine Duffy, Olivaretta, odd name. Uh, She was born in Charleroi, Pennsylvania, and she, in 1914, entered and subsequently won the Most Beautiful Girl in New York City contest, uh, which was held by a commercial artist, uh, Howard Chandler Christie. Uh, she won the contest and went on to feature on the covers of many Saturday evening posts. She was discovered by Florence Ziegfeld, who ran the Ziegfeld Follies, Ziegfeld Follies um, in New York on Broadway. Ziegfeld Follies was a show of um, burlesque girls, and they would dance and Whatnot. They were mostly dancing shows. I think today they would be considered pretty tame. But um, in the 1910s and 15s were probably very racy and very um, 
you know. <laughs> she made her debut for the Ziegfeld Follies in 1915. Um, she was recommended by um, Harrison Fisher, who was an artist who she posed for, for the Saturday Evening Post. She also was the first uh, Vargas girls, the first Vargas girl, pardon me, she posed for Peruvian artist Alberto Vargas. She was topless from, well, from the waist up, and uh, with a rose in her hand, and the picture is online. Uh, By the way, I will be getting most of my information from Wikipedia, just because I am lazy in my research and so I understand that Wikipedia should not be used in college classes and whatnot but uh, this is not official research and so I'll be getting you know and if I get some of the stuff wrong or if I miss something or if you feel like you you know you could you know have something to add to the story please let me know and I will uh, make sure I address the situation but I am in no uh, by no means am I a, an expert in this subject. I just find it fascinating. And so I figured there were no other podcasts that I could find that were doing this. And I thought, you know, I would get a kick out of listening to something like this. And so, you know, here we are. And so this is the first one. Hopefully they'll get better with time. Uh, anyway, that's my tangent. Back to the Ziegfeld Follies. Uh, in 1916... Olive Thomas signed with the International Film Company and made her debut in episode 10, a film serial, so the 10th episode of Beatrix Fairfax. Beatrice Fairfax. Um, she made her feature-length debut in 1917 for A Girl Like That for Paramount Pictures. 1917 also saw her sign with Triangle Pictures. She became engaged to actor Jack Pickford. Now, Jack Pickford was the younger brother of Mary Pickford. Now, Mary Pickford was the most famous person, the most famous actress in Hollywood, probably one of the most famous actresses in uh, in all of the movie, and in, in, certainly in the silent film era. I think they they said that uh, ten thousand. This is you know uh, later on, but when Mary Pickford died years and years later. Um, she was so famous that 10,000 people came to her funeral. So 10,000 fans flooded the... Um, so you can, you, know, you can just imagine how popular she was. Um, and so she was America's sweetheart. And she worked with... She worked with the tramp, Charlie Chaplin. She worked with... I believe they did several movies together. Um, she worked with director D.W. Griffith. She, yes, Charlie Chaplin um, was the most popular male, and Mary Pickford was the most popular female. Um, she married Douglas Fairbanks, and they had, uh, their house was called Pickfair, which, if you do a little bit of research on uh, on that online, it's really, it's, it's uh, fascinating. And maybe I'll, I weren't very scandalous, but that's very, there's some very interesting stories of of uh, Douglas Fairbanks and Mary Pickford and Pickfair and, and some of the, the parties they would throw and that kind of thing. So maybe we'll do a an unscandalous episode just of, of Hollywood history from back then. Um, anyway, we'll see how it goes and see what, you know, what no one knows what the future holds. Um, so anyway, back to Mary Pickford. She was super famous. Um, 
and her brother was Jack Pickford, who was not as popular. If you you can liken them maybe to uh, today, Julia Roberts and how popular she is, and then her brother Eric Roberts, who is also an actor. <laughs> um, but you know he was uh, he was uh, a, you know a famous actor, and so they fell in love. Uh, Jack Pickford and Olive Thomas. And Olive Thomas, it sounds like Olive Thomas was an up-and-comer, you know, a teenage schoolgirl yearning for excitement, let's say. Uh, She played in The Flapper, and and that was her role there in 1920. She starred in Upstairs Down, Upstairs and Down in 1919. She was in Love's Prisoner and Out Yonder, both in 1919. In October on October fourth, nineteen twenty, Olive Thomas's final film, Everybody's Sweetheart, was released. Now, um, Olive Thomas was first married at the age of fifteen. She married a Bernard Krug Thomas, nineteen thirteen, and that was in nineteen eleven. Nineteen thirteen, Olive they they separated, and she moved to New York City to pursue her career as a model. She was granted a divorce from the first husband in 1915 on the grounds of desertion and cruelty. In late 1916, Olive met actor Jack Pickford, who we just went over. He was brother of one of the most successful silent stars, Mary Pickford. They met in Santa Monica Pier, on Santa Monica Pier at a cafe. At the time, both Olive Thomas and Jack Pickford were known for their partying ways. Uh, It had been remarked that, uh, quote-unquote, I had seen her often at the Pickford home, for she was engaged to Mary's brother Jack, two innocent-looking children. They were the gayest, wildest brats who had ever stirred the stardust on Broadway. Both were talented, but they were much more interested in playing the roulette of life than in concentrating on their careers. Thomas eloped with Pickford on October 25, 1916, in New Jersey. None of their family was present. Only actor Thomas Mann as their witness. They would never have any children. So, uh, in 1920, they adopted Thomas's six-year-old nephew when his mother died. The marriage was tumultuous, as one could guess, and filled with highly charged conflict, followed by lavish making up through the exchange of expensive gifts. Uh, Mary Pickford, in her 1955 biography, had this to say. I regret to say that none of us approved of the marriage at that time. Mother thought Jack was too young, and Lottie and I felt that Olive, being in musical comedy, belonged to an alien world. Olive had all the rich, eligible men of the social world at her feet. She had been deluged with proposals from her own world of the theatre as well, which was not at all surprising. The beauty of Olive Thomas is legendary. The girl had the loveliest violet blue eyes I have ever seen. They were fringed with long, dark lashes that seemed darker because of the delicate, translucent pallor of her skin. I could fully understand why Florence Zegfeld never forgave Jack for taking her away from the follies. She and Jack were madly in love with one another, but I always thought of them as a couple of children playing together. So, Thomas and Pickford always intended to vacation together and go on a honeymoon. And but they were constantly traveling and they had very little time. So they decided to take a second honeymoon. So they headed to Paris in 1920 of August. September 5th, 1920, the couple went out for a night of entertainment and partying at the famous bistro in the Montparnasse. Montparnasse? 
quarter of Paris, Montparnasse. Returning to their their room in the Hotel Ritz around 3 a.m., Pickford either fell asleep or was outside the room. An intoxicated and tired Olive Thomas ingested what she thought was either drinking water or sleeping pills. Accounts vary, but what she ingested was mercury bichloride. It had been prescribed to Pickford to topically treat sores caused by his chronic syphilis because syphilis was a thing that still had to be contended with in 1915, 1920. Olive Thomas had either thought the flask contained drinking water or sleeping pills. The label was in French, which may have added to the confusion. After drinking the liquid, she screamed, Oh my God! And Pickford ran to pick her up. She was taken to the hospital, where Pickford and his brother-in-law, Owen Moore, remained at her side until she died five years later. Five days later. Five years later would be quite a thing. Jack Pickford's account of that night, given to the Los Angeles Herald Examiner, goes like this. We arrived back at the Ritz Hotel at about three o'clock in the morning. I had already booked airplane seats for London. We were going Sunday morning. Both of us were very tired. We had both been drinking a little. I insisted we had better not pack then, but rather get up early before our trip and do it then. I went to bed immediately. She fussed around and wrote a note to her mother. She was in the bathroom. Suddenly she shrieked, My God! I jumped out of the bed. I rushed toward her and caught her in my arms. She cried to me to find out what was in the bottle. I picked it up and read, Poison! It was a toilet solution, and the label was in French. I realized what she had done and sent for the doctor. Meanwhile, I forced her to drink water in order to make her vomit. She screamed, Oh my God, I'm poisoned! I forced the whites of eggs down her throat, hoping to offset the poison. The doctor came. He pumped her stomach three times while I held Olive. Nine o'clock in the morning, I got her to Newley Hospital, where doctors Choate and Warden took charge of her. They told me she had swallowed bichloride of mercury in an alcoholic solution, ten times worse than tablets. She didn't want to die. She took the poison by mistake. We both loved each other since the day we married. The fact that we were separated for months at a time made no difference in our affection toward one another. She was even conscious enough the day before she died to ask the nurse to come to America until she had fully recovered, having no thought she would die. She kept continually calling for me. I was beside her the day and night until her death. The physicians held out hope until the very last moment, until they found her kidneys paralyzed, then they lost hope. But the doctors told me she fought harder than any patient ever had. She held on to her life as only in one case in fifty. She seemed stronger the last two days. She was conscious and said she would get better and go home to her mother. It's all a mistake, darling Jack, she said. But I knew she was dying. She was kept alive only by hypodermic injections during the last twelve hours. I was the last one she recognized. I watched her eyes glaze and realized she was dying. I asked her how she felt, and she answered, Pretty weak, but I'll be all right in a little while. Don't worry, darling. Those were her last words. I held her in my arms, and she died an hour later. Owen Moore was at her bedside. All stories and rumors of wild parties and cocaine and domestic fights since we left New York are untrue. Police investigation did attribute the death to acute nephritis caused by the mercury bichloride absorption. She just mistakenly woke up drunk and drank the drank her husband's syphilis medicine. It's uh it's really something. Um 
Jack crossed the ocean with Oliver's body. Uh, apparently, he almost uh, on board the boat. He uh, he put on his trousers and jacket over his pajamas and went up on deck. He was climbing over the rail to jump when something inside him told him, "You must live and face the future. You can't do this to your mothers and sisters." September 29, 1920, an Episcopal funeral service was held at St. Thomas Episcopal Church in New York. According to the New York Times, a police escort was needed and the entire church was jammed. Several women fainted at the ceremony, and several men had their hats crushed in the rush to view the casket. She was interred at Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx. Her estate which was valued at the time at $27,644, which adjusted for inflation would be about $359,000. Pickford, the husband, he relinquished the rights to his share and gave it to her mother, which was pretty cool. Um, 19 November 22nd, her effects were sold at an estate sale, netting thirty grand. Uh, Louis Selznick bought Thomas's town car. Mabel Norman bought a 20-piece toilet set and a 14-karat gold cigarette case. Hmm. The press coverage of Olive Thomas's death was one of the first examples of the media sensationalism of a ho- major Hollywood star. Her death has been cited as one of the first major Hollywood scandals. Hmm. And then here on the Wikipedia page, it says other scandals include the Fatty Arbuckle trial, the murder of William Desmond Taylor, and the drug-related death of Wallace Reed, and all of which will be covered in subsequent episodes of this podcast. There are a couple of things I'm going to do differently that I already know about, and a couple of things that I will keep. Um, I do think it wasn't that, that was not very scandalous in the fact in the way that we think of scandals necessarily where you know it would be a murder or or someone cheating or something they sounded like they were very much in love and that it was just a uh, kind of a drunken mistake which to be perfectly honest a lot of a lot of deaths are just drunken foolish mistakes now, I, I, the voices, you know, doing silly accents and voices and reading, you know, about her death, I don't want to make light of someone's death. But at the same time, you know, that's kind of a weird, I don't know, maybe that's just the way they spoke back then, but it's kind of a weird interview to give the newspaper, um, you know, it's kind of a ghastly, um, that's what they you know, that's what he said. That's what I'll, I'm just trying to inject a little bit of levity by, I don't know what these people sounded like, but I'm going to continue to do that. And so, um, you can see the, a picture of the mausoleum of Olive Thomas, Olive Thomas Pickford, rather. Um, if you go to Wikipedia and enter Olive Thomas, um, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can go to facebook.com to the Hollywood Scandals of Yesteryear page and, uh, you know, interact with me there um, if you'd like. If you have any questions or comments or suggestions or anything at all, please feel free and leave a comment wherever you downloaded this. If it was on iTunes, please leave a comment. Um, please subscribe and thank you for downloading the podcast and thank you uh, please I hope that you'll you know give it a chance and at least listen to a for, to a few episodes um, this being the first one I think I like to think that they will get better 
and a little more tight. And I thank you for listening. And next week, 1921, the story of Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle. Fatty Arbuckle was a silent film comedian. His trial was the first of its kind in America. And so we'll see you next week for the Hollywood scandals of yesteryear. I have been your host, Gene Hollywood.